0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and take up and read at Philippians chapter 4. We'll read the first nine verses. Reading this in the context of the whole of Philippians is somewhat difficult. To appreciate, unless you know the context, there's one thing about it. There's so much thankfulness of Paul that is executed in this letter for the Philippians and the work of God's grace among them. And so you have a, a very full congregation full of the Spirit and full of good fruits, and for which the apostle ministers and gives thanks and then urges them on to be even fuller yet, and more fruitful yet. Something, as your pastor feels towards you, that you who are full might be fuller yet, you who are blessed might be more blessed. Philippians chapter 4, the first nine verses, Therefore, my beloved and longed for, brethren, my joy and crown, So stand fast in the Lord, beloved, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The last two verses are the verse of my text for today, this morning and tonight. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any, anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Thus far we read Philippians 1, uh, 4, 1 through 9. And... To begin this sermon, I'd ask you the question, how are things, beloved, how how are things with you? When we do that, of course, when we ask how are things, and when a pastor asks how are things, we're concerned about the person. How are you in the midst of things? That would be the question that we ask in our house visitation, uh, the regular annual visit that the elders make to the congregation. The question is, how are things? But it's really the question, how are you? How are you in the midst of the circumstances of this world, the society's upheaval, threats of war and so on? How are you when good's be calling is being called evil and evil's being called good in the things of this America as well? How are things in your own life? How are things in your family life? How are things in your church life? How are things and how do you think that things will be? What's your view of the future? How do you reflect upon the past? And so you see the the question, how are things, concerns uh, you in all of your life. And we trust that you'll welcome us into your home, even as you welcome the Lord Jesus and his servants into your home and to be candid and encouraging and and humble as you receive Christ himself through receiving us. And we will do the same. That's what house visitation is all about, after all. The Apostle Paul and his co-workers visited from house to house and also publicly. They were concerned to encourage the saints who constantly need encouragement, for there are many things things that would interfere with, hinder our sanctification, our perspective on things, and they can be things of body and things of soul, things of church, things of state, things of family, all kinds of things. So we want to consider Philippians 4, 8 and 9, which is Paul's inspired word to Philippians To whom he writes that they might think on certain things and be led by these things and their thoughts of them into the peace of God and the God of peace. And that will be our theme for house visitation a goodly and godly theme for good and godly thoughts and to know peace and to know the power of the gospel to aim us in the right direction and also to encourage us to walk therein. So think on these things. First of all, I want to introduce this subject this morning. Two briefer sermons rather than one longer sermon is what I want to bring to you. Of things of sin and grace. That's the first point. And then things of and grace and the brethren. Paul addresses the brethren here. And then of things and brethren and what that will be as a consequence of having heard of things and grace and brethren. As people of God, we're mindful that God has created all things. And the beauty of this creation is that everything created that God has made is under God's sovereign control and is to be a reflection of what he intended them to be. So you have heavens themselves declaring the glory of God. As the psalmist says, God made the heavens to be preachers, great declares of truth, the truth of the greatness of God, the constancy of God, the eternality of God, and the truth by implication of our littleness and dependence. God has made all things, and that's why uh, this is a great comfort to us, uh, that he's made us too for his praise and so on. And this is uh, a bedrock of the faith, the bedrock of the Bible. In the beginning, God made all things, heaven and earth and everything. And back and back and back, Israel has led to that truth. In the Psalms, it's reflected, and in the writings, the wisdom literature, and in the history of Israel, they knew God, their creator. We need to go back to that as well, to know the perspective of the Bible and of the wisdom of God, that there's a God and there's all things over which this God reigns and for which he has purposes in all things. And by all things, I mean all things. People in them, good and evil in them, Uh, stuff that you can measure, things that are things but that are invisible, but they're still things in the sense that they're not just nothings, There are some things that you just can't see, like gases and so on. And uh, people in them and history and events, all things, all things in the hand of God. Now, this is something we need to know. It's a backdrop of this text here where Paul brings out, finally, to the brethren, as a last word. He has more to say. Ministers do that. We'll say, and finally, and then we keep on going. Uh, Paul's led, however, by the Spirit. Sometimes as ministers, we keep on going because we don't know when to land. But anyway, God would say this as a final word to Philippians, whom he loves. Through Paul, and it has to do with other things, other things or maybe the same things from a different perspective. And he says to the brethren, there's things, and whatever those things are, true and noble and just and so on, I want you to think upon them. I want you to reason through. In the midst of all your other things, these are things that I want you to think upon. And this is what the elders are going to want to know of you and of ourselves and be encouraged of you and of ourselves as we go and, and we visit you. And I uh, want you to be ready for that by listening to the text today and, and not only this morning but tonight and, and be encouraged and be directed maybe if you haven't been thinking on the things that Paul mentions It would be understandable, however, if you weren't thinking on these things. And if I weren't even, even though it's hard to to think that a minister could not think on these things and be a minister. It would be understandable, though, because there's so many other things that are not noble and true and pure and just and lovely and of good report. Or maybe there's other things that are like just and like of good report. They're kind of good. There's a half report. I like half of this. I like half of the news on Fox or CNN or whatever you want. Uh, And so you can be diverted from your thinking on just these things, which the apostle says is, is what I want you to think upon, just these things, on these things. He lumps them all together, as we'll see, And they're really one thing, and there's focus on them. He gives them to know that they're things you've seen in me and heard and received and and so on. But we have our problems. I introduced the sermon by reminding us of God and things so that we would know that whatever problems we have or whatever problems there are with other things... God doesn't have those problems. We do. We do. And that's uh, something always to remember. But there are problems. There are things that are problematic. And this is because of sin. There's all kinds of things now that have become servants of sin. Just about everything. Or everything. Everything. Religion can be a servant of sin. Philosophies are servants of sins. Uh, football games can be servants of sin. And church services and family devotions and reading the Bible. It's, it's strange how things that are good in themselves or could be and really are to advance religion are agents of sin. <laughs> used by the devil and by sinners. You think of it, from the very beginning, lots to learn from the first sin. The devil, whose spirit and have a body, used the body of a snake to come to Eve and then used the thing that was to to be a good thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as a, a means of temptation for Eve used the ears of Eve and the mouth of Eve and his own mouth and ears and so on as a talking snake to tempt. He used the things that were to be advancements for faith now as a means of disgrace. So there's the devil in the things now. Satan claims, in fact, things for himself as he goes about in his wily ways, claiming people for himself. This is his prize, his crown and joy. As many as he can get from the sons of men to be his own, and his servants, who themselves would use things to be agents of destruction, weapons of mass destruction even. He's the prince of the world, and somehow in the sovereignty of God, he's seen fit, I'm going to, Have a prince of this world who's disobedient. The epitome of disobedience and dishonor. It's going to be over things and you're going to see how he rules so that you might be led to how it should have been and how it is now in the king of kings, Jesus. But there will be these things, though. These things. Things for seduction, things for destruction, means of disgrace by the agency of the sinners he claims for himself who when they use things and receive things like a paycheck waste it or blow it on themselves or buy a toy and waste their time or others time Or do this and that and the next thing with the things and the money in the service of themselves. In fact, they think they have a right to things, do sinners. And when they have a right to things, they'll hold on to them. And by hook and by crook, they'll keep them and gain for themselves more of those things. This is this world, right? And... The only reason I'm mentioning all of these things is that this is so real and we need to remind ourselves that God knows this is the problem and he knows you have a problem and I have a problem with things. And he would help us in the midst of our problem to rise above that meager, mediocre, and worse existence. He wants more for his sons and his daughters, his brethren. With regard to the things you have. Practically, see. The Bible is speaking practically here. When here and a thousand other places, it speaks of things and mammon. And not being anxious for anything. Be anxious for nothing in all of this. In fact... I would suggest it wouldn't be a bad idea, though we know that things themselves are not wrong and illicit, they're good gifts of God. I think it would be right if we ourselves could see everything as with a tail on it, sticking out the back, whatever thing this is, a tail maybe it's your sports equipment maybe it's your television maybe it's your internet maybe it's this thing that you, this bright and shiny new thing or this old thing that you're coveting there's a little tail on the back and there's a head on that thing as well and it's a three-cornered head sign of a viper a poisonous snake and I'll allow me to be a fool I'll even say there's three letters at the three corners of that head, S-A-G, Satan, Antichrist, and God, with a little G. And so, what I'm trying to do here is remind you of the thing that can be a servant of the serpent himself, the devil himself. So, things are like serpents, and they might have good-looking bodies, even, and wiggly, and... And worming and so on, but very colorful and deceitful. These things they can bite you, so that you were going to use the things you thought you were. Hey, this would advance me, this my enjoyment, not only but maybe the cause of Christ. But the things turn out to bite you and become your masters. So that the saying is true, as one of the politicians of old said, things are in the saddle riding mankind. We're not in control, but things are. Circumstances, good and evil, even even good ones, can control us. Physical things, not only, but ideas. Ideas that seem like good ideas. Ideas. Concepts of justice and righteousness can be things not only spun out of philosophers' heads, but out of the majority's heads. And by way of vote on the floor of the Senate or the House or Supreme Court, things can be voted on. And behind the things and the votes and the opinions, majority or minority, are not... Good things and good, real truths. All kinds of things, like advertisements for these things. Buy more, buy this better thing, this faster thing, this more beautiful thing. I think that the apostle here, especially in other places too, has all of that as a backdrop. You, you can't really get the message of an apostle here in one place without remembering what he said and in other places, even in Philippians, like Philippians 2, where encouraging us to be an example to others and a witness. He says in so many words, you shine in this crooked and perverse generation as in the midst of this generation. You're not this generation You're in the middle of it, but it's wicked and perverse, and it's a generation. It's this century, he's saying, but this applies to every generation, every century, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Things, good things of creation are now more and more servants of evil. Ideas are no longer absolutes, as we'll see, especially tonight, but There is no truth anymore, not for all of us, but for maybe one of us, and that might change tomorrow. And his truth could be his and not yours, and that's okay. That's okay. So you have this backdrop, and you have this distinction that Paul is making here when he says there's other things, and I want you to think upon this, But it's all because of a difference that's been made between Satan and his things and his minions and the people of God. And this is uh, of the grace part of things and sin and grace. The Apostle Paul uh, opens his words to the Philippians by reminding them who they are. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, the elders and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he thanks his God for all of the fruit of the Spirit. Here's a people that are called saints. I think we do well reverently to call one another saints. From time to time, maybe regularly, saint this, saint that. That would call us up short, wouldn't it? Because we don't feel very saintly. Or that's for Augustine, St. Augustine, or Aquinas, or Bartholomew, whatever. But me? Yes, you. By the grace of God, if you be like a Philippian, like a believer, a true believer and a true, noble child of God. in a very real way, you've been called out of all the things of life, called out of them. Another place, it said, isn't it, that we are to give thanks to God who's delivered us from this present evil world. You don't belong to this world. You don't belong to its things, even certainly not to its sinful things and advertisements and Sabbath-breaking, bone-crunching, hero-worshipping Super Bowls. You don't belong there. Saints are those who are called out, separated from sin, but even from the world, kind of like God. Who is the God who created things? He's above them. And when we are called to be Christian, that's exactly what happens to us. We're called from sin and also from this world. Of course, not out of this world. Jesus even prays, I pray not that you would take them out of this world, John 17, but rather keep them in this world to witness to the perverse and wicked generation of a God who's above the world, all the while being in the world and not of the world. That's the idea. So there's things, yes, we enjoy and we should, but things that we should not be tempted by or use to our destruction and shame. After all, the reality, the thing to remember is that we are gods, and God is great, and God is the God of all grace, as we sung. We thank him for that. Free merit, a uh, free, unmerited favor. Paul even reminds the saints that he is so delighted be, with them because they have been joined to him in a fellowship of grace I think that's chapter one. A love of God is shed abroad in their hearts, but he prays that it would be more and more uh, shed abroad in their hearts. And this all by Christ Jesus. Grace, wherever there's grace, there's Christ Jesus. Saving grace. By grace, you're saved. Grace isn't a thing. It's a a wonderful act of God to save his own. And this is what's happened and is happening as we are being saved. Christ Jesus. It's all about him. He's the mediator between God and men. And by his word and his spirit and through the apostolic preaching and grace of God, that's how we're lifted up from the world. That's how we're given faith and given love so that when the Apostle Paul is saying in Philippians 4, Finally, brethren... Not only here's the end of my sermon, but here's the end and the, the sum and substance of a message to you. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble and just and so on. When the Apostle Paul, I say, is writing that, he is not promoting a mere Christian optimism. We're optimists. There is a cloud, but we see the silver lining. There is this hard thing, but we see another better thing. This is our perspective. That's That's mere optimism. Ours, beloved, is faith by which we look at all things and even in the midst of them see something that God is working very wisely and tenderly on if we only see it. And when he gives us hope, it's far more than, I hope so, it's living hope. So we're delivered from the tyranny of the devil and things now are not our masters but our servants. We are now reinstated to be the kings of creation under the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus. He has died for us. He's risen for us. He empowers us now to be in this world, not of it, and in Christ over and over again is the prepositional phrase of the apostle, the inspired word of God, you're in Jesus. Rejoice, he says, in the Lord. Philippians 4, 4. Stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is your identity. Don't lose it to the doubters, to the discontent who say, I don't know. Maybe you're not the sex you were born with. Maybe you got to change everything. No. So, we are those who are delivered principally, and we even may suffer for it. It's amazing. Grace makes so that we suffer for things. Philippians 1, it's given to you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake, to suffer. That's a thing that's given to us on behalf of Jesus. As Paul says, that he may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, that he might by any means attain unto the resurrection of the dead. We're liberated, but there's, there's a cost but even in the midst of this, we're so blessed that all things work together for good. All things. See, God is very concerned with things and you in them. And again, reverently speaking, or maybe as a fool speaking, it's as if God is saying to us, how, how are your things? How are how are things? I know how they are. Do you? Do you? Well, in anticipation of tonight's sermon, but not to overlap on what I'm going to say about thinking, look what Paul says here. He delineates for us the way out of maybe a quagmire of... Confusion, all the things, they come upon us, they happen to us, we turn on the radio and the internet, and we hear about them all. What's going on? Well, maybe we say that in our life. And Paul says, hold it. I give you a list here of things and here's the way, and you're thinking upon it. You're going to know the God of peace. To Carry on. So the lengthy list is given in our text. Eight, virtues, we could say them, uh, of them. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, lovely, good report, virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. There's the list. Now, briefly, the, what is true is against falsehood. What is true is according to the standard of what God says is, is level. There's a true level. There's a true philosophy. There's a true physics. There's a true um, religion, something that is a reflection of God himself and of his standards, and of his goodness and virtue. Whatever is honest is whatever is dignified. And, and whatever is honest is against what's frivolous or silly. Again, these are just general definitions. Whatever is just is, is fair and square. It's righteous, pure, unchaste, impure. Uh, these are n- the opposite of pure. Whatever is lovely is whatever is pleasing Whatever evokes admiration, whatever is of good report is, is well-sounding, sounds like a, a good thing, and we want to hear that. Whatever is a virtue is good ethical conduct. Whatever is of praise is something not only men would praise, but that God would. Now, people have tried to put these together. So there's eight things, and they seem to be random virtues. You could probably add 20 to them. Maybe you could add your list to that, and talk with the children, whatever, is there something else that's related here? Surely this isn't an exhaustive list, but we could categorize them. Maybe they could all be under the first one. Whatever things are true and after that everything else follows from what is true. True is uh, a good thing, isn't it? If nothing is true, you can't be honest. If There's nothing that's true, you can't be noble, and there can be nothing of good report and so on. Well, so we could categorize it like that. Uh, Maybe they're in couplets, things that are good and true in themselves, like true and noble, and then things that are moral, morally acceptable, things that are admirable among men, all all of this. I cannot really pinpoint exactly the difference between and among all of these things. I can say to you, however, a few things that we know. The first thing is that Paul is saying that there are such things. There are such things for all of us. There are such things as those things which are true and honest and pure. He's not like the modern-day philosopher and hawker of a kind of a gospel that says there is something that's true, and you can think of that, and there's something really a slightly different truth, and you can think of that, and you're both okay. And so there's two truths, but maybe when we get more people in the think tank, there's going to be 19 truths or 23 letters of the alphabet by which we described a queer people indeed. So you can multiply virtues unto yourself according to the person. Paul's not saying that. He's saying whatever is true and of good report and of praise and just, implying that there, is, there are things that meet a certain qualification that amounts to truth, that amounts to righteousness, that amounts to praiseworthiness, and there's no doubt about it. And he says to all of the saints, you think upon these things, you all together, and this will unite us, as Paul says, continually reiterates in Philippians, have the same mind, be of the same mind in Christ. This is our unity. Something that says there's a God above and there's his one truth and there's his one way of honesty. There is this one thing that's praiseworthy to him. There's there's many things, but they all come under the category of praiseworthy things, and we all can agree to it. Beautiful. It's universally recognized as such a real good and a real God. Well, of course, this is in Jesus. He's the word that God says about all these things. You can say, and you have to as a Christian. Whatever things are true, I learned from Jesus. Jesus and honest, and of good report. Whatever things are praiseworthy, I learn from him who is the express image of the Father and in whom is all the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily, and he's my Savior. I know these things because they reflect Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. And the apostle really emphasizes this when he says that all these things are to meditate upon which are the very things you learned and received and heard and saw in me when he was ministering among them. So you think upon these things, you do them, and the God of peace will be with you. That's the key here. The people don't have to go to Socrates or anyone else to learn what's of truth and good report. They, they learned it from Paul. Paul came preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and over and over he says that. Oh, to preach Christ crucified. Oh, I know they're preaching and they don't have a good motive, but just so long as he's preached, that's fine with me in prison. But that's what they learned from Paul. They learned Jesus Christ. They learned God with them. They learned that this one is crucified for sinners. They learned the way of faith. They learned in an apostle who himself was converted on the road to Damascus from evil and foolishness and silly things and trusting in things like merit and that he was a Pharisee to get to heaven. He was turned from all of that and turned to serve the living God so that he would say to the Philippians, my God is everything, and I've learned in whatsoever state I am, in whatever the mess there is, to be content, and I can do all things in Christ Jesus. For after all, in the midst of all the things... I live, not I, but Christ in me. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's what they saw in Paul an example of someone who lived and did Christianity for the sake of Jesus Christ. You love it? That's what they learned, that's what they once received. On that, that apostolic witness of all the great things of the gospel in Jesus Christ, they were to learn and think and meditate and then do them. How are things with you? You're thinking on the things of the word of God, the gospel, doing them? Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, May we hear this word, think upon it, do it, and know the God of peace with us. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless each and every one and all of us together. In the midst of many things, many things happening to us, many things that are tempting, many things indeed that are good gifts from creation. And yet, they're distractions from our meditating upon gospel things. Oh, we pray, Father, bless this congregation. May we be found rejoicing in you, glad for all the truths you revealed, and the yea and amen of them all, which is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Dismiss us with your favor, but with joy, resolution, gladness, You've shown grace, and you've shown us, Lord, the way to heaven. You've given us faith. We praise your name. Amen.